is that I'm trying to plan out as much as possible to make sure I'm not taking any work home or maybe to minimizing the amount that I'm doing outside of school, even more than I've done in the past. I've gotten better at that, but I want to this year, especially with two kids now, instead of one, really honor like that line between work and home. My name is Marcus Luther. And uh, as always, before we get started, some reminders about the show. First, this is an independent and listener-supported podcast. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate and diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to support folks in the classroom. And most importantly, the show is about saying thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom practice through a lens of social justice and change. Nobody knows better than folks who works in schools, what's at stake right now for students and communities. And we want to keep saying thank you and encourage you to keep up the good work. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier, and you can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream and to just text your friends, link to an episode uh, so they can tune in as well. So. Marcus, I'll turn it over to you. What do you got? Yeah, for today, uh, we're at a bit of an odd junction uh, with Jim, you having just made it through the whirlwind of opening a school year with students and the exhaustion uh, that's coupled with that. And me about to go back to begin preparing with going back to work and professional development for the week before students arrive. So I've still got a little bit of time, but it's getting shorter by the day. So we want to lean into the mindsets on either side of that tipping point for today with Jim sharing a little bit about where he's at now, along with just catching his breath and me opening up about my mindset heading in, because I think both of those places, if you're listening to this, you might be on either side of that tipping point as well, but I think both of them deserve reflection before we plow forward into the later parts of the year that can be uh, all consuming. So Before we get to any of that, I I do want to just ask a question I'm curious about uh, before we dive in. What was your most memorable in all your years teaching first day of school? Do you have like a story or a little anecdote, a little fun thing you can share? Yes, I do. Um, This one I really don't think I'll ever forget because it was so funny. It was the first day of my first ever year of teaching. This was like my my first moment in Mark Tree, um, you know, we had gone through like so much. I feel like then there was like so much time and effort spent on like preparing for the first day. And I had, I don't know, like I had written this like letter. It was like very articulately like planned. Um, anyhow, what I didn't know, I taught first period, eighth grade English in Arkansas. And what I hadn't anticipated, because nobody had told me, so Matt Wright, shout out to you. This is your fault if you're listening. Um, I didn't know that we did the Pledge of Allegiance, and I didn't know that we did, like, morning announcements first period over the intercom. 
so I like was going through this like like what in my mind was just like you know like I don't know for me it was a very defining moment and I was like introducing myself to my first ever class of students trying to like I don't know I had very grand visions of what that moment was and for them I'm sure it was like you know a regular first day of school but uh, I so I get interrupted with the morning announcements and I get interrupted with the Pledge of Allegiance and I looked around the room and that was the moment that I realized that in all of my classroom setup and preparation and decoration that I did not have an American flag actually in the classroom. Uh, so they start doing the pledge and all the eighth grade students are looking around at me like, you know, what's going on, dude? What What's happening? And um, I had this poster of the, I had the Beatles poster that a Matt, uh, the Abbey Road album cover of them walking across uh, the crosswalk. And so that first, that day, and for like the first week or so, uh, we pledged allegiance to Abbey Road. Well, during the Pledge of Allegiance. And then one of my students, Madison, who I believe now is actually teaching at Mark Tree High School, uh, walked in one day with this giant American flag and was like, my dad said you needed this, so here it is. And she gave me this flag <laughs> and I hung it up. And I think it was still there. I, I went back uh, somewhat recently, like a year and a half ago. Um, or No, it was, would have been right before COVID. But I went back and visited and the flag was still there. So that was it. The missing American flag and the Beatles poster. Very good. And as you were saying that, I was reflecting back, like I have way too many like different stories I'm realizing with this question. Uh, I had a principal get fired on the first day of school for mm. uh, filibustering with a two-hour assembly because there wasn't a master schedule. Uh, oh, so yeah, we all got to watch the superintendent uh, grab the mic and fire him under his breath. Uh, not going to name school or time for that. Yeah, I uh, do remember that. That's pretty... Had, uh, Took a class outside uh, in a tornado drill because I didn't know there were such things as tornado drills uh, mm -hmm. coming from Oregon. Uh, I thought, fire drill, go outside. And then principal came up to me and said, uh, Mr. Luther, you just got your class killed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, lo lots of these. I guess the one I'm thinking about now, I know those sound like stories I could delve into. Uh, but at Wynn High School, uh, a little bit of hazing for the new teacher uh, they, I was just starting my first lesson and the school resource officer knocks on my door and just steps right in. Are you Mr. Luther? And a big, mm -hmm. large, very intimidating, uh, school resource officer, which I guess is a good thing. Uh, and I'm like, yes, I'm starting to get nervous cause I had my whole you know speech plan. I'm ready to go for my class. And he like pulls me into the hallway. He's like, I need to talk to you in front of the whole class. So uh, now all the kids are whispering and mm -hmm. He's, and then he like he gets a big grin on his face as he shuts the door. He's like, "Hey, you forgot to get uh, the little bumper sticker for your parking pass." I was just giving you a hard time. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, totally threw me off. I was completely rattled like the rest of the day. Just absolutely. I mean, building a good relationship and rapport with the school and school resource officer long term, but in the short term that day, I was a little bit uh, miffed uh, to be 
thrown off that much. But yeah, I've had a lot of first days. Yeah. <laughs> That's not even yeah. kind of like the Zoom crashing with the online, like all sorts of things. But yeah, the did first get, day did, is quite a thing. So let, let's just you, pivot. Yeah, how, let's do how, it. How was your first day? First day was good. We do, um, we, we do like a ninth grade orientations day. So on Wednesday, uh, not not this past week, the week before. So technically I've been in school for uh, seven school days. Um, on Wednesday of the first week, we have ninth graders come in and we have an advisory structure. So I'm an, I'm an advisor to uh, eight new freshmen this year. And so beyond the three different advisory meetings that we had throughout the day for team building, um, and just like relationship building and, and just getting the ninth graders like used to the school because they're coming from different campuses and they don't necessarily know each other and they don't know me. And I have a co-advisor that I'm working with this year, Miss Worthy, who's doing a fantastic job. Um, it was great. It was, it was really great. And then the, and then Thursday after that we did, everyone came back. So it was nine through 12 came back and we had, you know, like standard first day stuff. We talked a little bit last time about the syllabus and we walked through that briefly. Um, and then it was a lot of like, we did a little writing. And then on Friday, oh, that's when I, and for my AP seminar class, I did a very, uh, a very dramatic lesson enrolling them in the birds aren't real conspiracy theory. So that went really well. And I also used textbooks for AP Lang. I used the language of composition and uh we covered them in paper bags we, i'm very very old school about that and it's really funny to see ninth uh excuse me 11th graders like fumbling around and having no idea how to cover a textbook with a paper bag which is a lost art but it was great you didn't have them like you didn't just like grab a textbook and start ripping out the pages and say this is useless you won't need it no, no, less less Robin Williams and more uh, traditional textbook. My principal came in. We have a new principal this year, and she came in to observe me uh, during the textbook covering lesson, which was took pretty much most of the lesson because you know it's complicated. Uh, but she was jumping right in and helping kids cover her textbook. She was she was loving it. She uh, appreciated one that we have these really expensive school school materials that we're taking good care of but also you know i don't know man i'm a big textbook fan so i think we should i think we should think about textbooks and we should cover them with the old brown paper bags which uh was a certainly a touch of nostalgia which i like yeah so next week jim's gonna be teaching the art of cursive writing <laughs> i tweeted a thread about cursive writing i think last week so there's a lot to be said for it okay <laughs> it's a it's a miracle that we have you producing our podcast. <laughs> I I think so. Yeah, could be. So let's flip this to what is something that didn't go well? Since it sounds like there's a lot of things that did go well, so I feel comfortable asking the follow up. What didn't yeah. go well? Um, I mean, we have last year we have a lot of new rules. Uh, namely, the biggest one is we're going a hundred percent like no phones this year. Um, and so there's a lot of new rules that the kids, it's not like that new, but 
uh, a big one that like everyone is norming on and, and the deans and the culture team are norming on is no bags, like no bags or backpacks, like physically like on the desk. And they also don't want you wearing them. So uh, there was a student who was wearing a backpack and was refusing to take it off. And when I told him to take it off, he, he wasn't going to. And I said, okay, if you, I, I have to give you detention if you don't take it off. It's the rules. There was like a big scene and I had to I had to send him out, unfortunately. But I met with him later on that day and we talked. It went okay. And the past few days in class have been going well. He's called me over and asked for feedback and he's doing all his work. And uh, but that was that was not an ideal way to start the school year for sure. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, and I think acknowledging one the context of like you know this 100 percent compliance that's i think we'll dive into a little bit here in a sec uh in terms of collective efficacy and mm -hmm. why that matters and why that can be hard for teachers in relationship building but uh when you look back on that because i've had those interactions too to start the year in different years uh with students do you feel like if you like rerun that interaction uh, there's something that you could have done differently or do you think it was just an inevitable collision that ended the way it was going to? I definitely think, I definitely think it was option two. Um, kids are going to push back and he, he swore. So like if you swear at your teacher, that's pretty much a wrap. Like you can't, you can't be in the class after that. Um, and he apologized for that. And I think, yeah, I, I, it's a good question. I don't know. Like, I do think there's like those moments where, okay, if a student is making, if a student is like very clearly trying to like create a conflict and very clearly like refusing, um, then, you know, maybe something else is going on or maybe, and, and it turns out like, I get I think that he had gotten a detention just in his previous class and then there was there's like another th there was another thing going on with like why he wanted to wear the backpack so it wasn't just like yeah there is outside context like no student wants to get kicked out of class no student like you know he's I I very genuinely believe that even when students do mess up like that like that's not what they want to be doing and so trying to handle it with grace but i don't know there is there are lines and you can't like you have to just i don't know be consistent and be fair um i think it it's it's certainly possible that i could have just like gone on with the class and like ignored the backpack thing and like circled back to him individually and talked with him about the backpack. But, you know, like we've, we've been told as a team, like tell, you know, like if this is something that we're asking all teachers to do, and it's also like a very public thing where like you ask a student to do something, they're refusing to do it. You know, like there are moments where like, you really should i think that you maybe you really shouldn't move on without issuing a consequence um but i certainly think like something that does get lost 
in those moments or could easily get lost is the follow-up um, and how to repair how to repair stuff when that does happen because it happens and you just have to deal with it so i'm not trying to say like i couldn't have done anything differently but i i mean i don't know it happened and i think we're moving on in a productive direction so hopefully it's water under the bridge what about you yeah i guess just as Stay on that. I mean, one, I appreciate you being that open about such a recent incident because I think a lot of times we intentionally choose things from the past because it's easy to be more open about. Uh, but I think this is a really important moment for people just to appreciate if you're not in the classroom, like the art of teaching and not in a way to like put ourselves on pedestals, but how choices have to be made in the moment that are incredibly impactful. Uh, and that's a very classic situation. I mean, I could see myself walking into that a week and a half from now where there's a, a school-wide agreement that this is the expectation and you as a teacher are to uphold it. And mm-hmm. by the way, you and I probably both agree, I think, that there's value in that collective efficacy, like that if we all buy in on something as a school, it makes it better for our classrooms. So I, I think that's a good thing. But also that might not be the best thing for the relationship with that student. And in the moment, you have to make a call that does have lasting consequences to you as a teacher in your relationship with that student and the community in that classroom. Uh, And I think teachers are in that position quite a bit. And it's something to think about because I don't think there's always a really clear right answer either. I wasn't trying to play a gotcha game like you did the right thing or the wrong thing, just more to put on the spot that process, which you really reflected well on. Uh, that a lot of teachers go through, it's incredibly stressful. We like, I, if you're like me, I think about that like 5,000 times over afterwards. And it can be like, you have a full mm-hmm. day of good things and that one thing happens and that's what you think about at the end of the day. It's hard not to like fall back on that. So I think for teachers listening to this, you've probably been in that place or you will be in that place. And if you're not listening though, just to take a step back and like when you're judging teachers, like, you can try really hard and make the exact opposite decision that Jim did right there for really good reasons. And it's a really hard place. So I just wanted to like appreciate you sharing that first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I do think that like there, and I've certainly done this where it's like, you don't want to be quote unquote relationship building with a student through the avenue of like making exceptions for the of, for the rule right like you don't want to say like oh you don't want the student to think oh well mayors is cool because he lets me wear my backpack or mayors is cool because like the school rule is no gum but i can chew gum in his class because he's cool like that is actually maybe it can help you in the immediate term with like feeling positive or having the student feel positive overall but eventually that's not, that's it's going to blow up either on you or in someone else's classroom and you have to you you have to just uphold school expectations even if you don't agree with them which like in my case I do agree with the backpack rule like you shouldn't be wearing backpacks while you're like literally sitting in your chair because it sends the signal to me I think that you just don't want to be there. Right. So like, and, and you shouldn't have your bag on your desk because it's just like, it it is sending the same signal. Like you're not engaged. You don't want to be there. 
so yeah tell the tell students put the bags away that's the rule um but yeah you have to navigate you have to navigate it in the moment and you have to say you do have to make this calculation of like what is my lasting relationship with this student versus the lasting really like the lasting sort of way that students think that i'm like every other student is going to think that i'm going to respond to people pushing back so yeah i appreciate that and then also what i'd add and i'm not in your situation uh but i also am in a school that's is per email sent out in our district that is going to be going for example bell to bell no cell phones for the first time in a while so there's going to be some new policies that we'll see day one so i'm already like i you know think of the hypotheticals and how I'll handle them. Yeah. I think when I am in that situation, again, different school, early on, the first thing I'm looking at is like, is this a contagious behavior? Is this something that like multiple people are doing or just one student? And then if possible, I'm going to try to have that conversation, which I'm sure you did with that student off the stage. Like, can I get them in the hallway? Can I like, get everyone else doing something because a lot of times that becomes a power dynamic situation. I talked a lot about this with my student teacher last year, uh, where if you can find a way to have that conversation and, and still hold the expectation, but do it in a way that that student doesn't feel like they're on the spot because a lot of times it is a power thing, especially early on, like first day, it sounds like there was a situation in the class before is a big thing. Uh, but it's still hard because a lot of times you're like, you, you're amped up energy for the first day. And this like one student, like I, I always like put my own ego out there. I've been in this situation where I am almost like personally frustrated because this one student choosing to do something that just seems illogical. Like it's not like a, like a hard thing to do is throwing off all my personal momentum. And then that emotion, I know for me in the past has led to me not value in the relationship. And it can be a really, like it's a tough balance. And I think it's emotionally tough to try and find the right situation. There isn't a right answer here necessarily, but that's what makes this job so difficult. And it's not just, a, oh, get your students to fill out the, you know, the correct bubble answers, A, B, C, D. It's like, how do you respond to all these variables on the spot in a way that students need you to when you have different students with different needs in the same space? Uh, and it's incredibly taxing, taxing, emotionally taxing. Yeah. And, and you're only seven days in. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, sorry. I, I don't mean to like fixate on that. I just think it's such a great example of what this work actually is versus what people talk about online mm-hmm. and who aren't in the classroom. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'll pivot to you a little bit. Um, I have started, I've gotten some of my systems up. Um, and running as you're thinking about the school year and as you're thinking about going back, like, what are you, what are you doing differently this year than you did last year or changes that are on the horizon for you? I have several things that I'm going to prioritize. Uh, one is that I'm trying to plan out as much as possible to make sure I'm not taking any work home or maybe to the, minimizing the amount that I'm doing outside of school, even more than I've done in the past. I've gotten better at that, but I want to, this year, especially with two kids now, instead of one, really honor like that line between work and home as much as possible. Uh, another thing I'm doing is I have always had desk decals. I'm a big, like we talked about this last episode with like assigned seats and we have our classroom core beliefs on the desks. Like I really want to instill this system. Something I'm adding this year 
is actually hand signals uh, where it's like one finger, two finger, all the way up to five fingers or a fist. And the, the goal of this system, and I got this from Monte Syria on Twitter uh, that I've adapted from it. And I, I will keep adding, I have loved Twitter for just getting ideas that I can bring into my classroom. Like that has been such a, a value add for me as yeah, a teacher. For sure. And I'm really appreciative for teachers sharing. I try to share my own practices, including with this podcast, but essentially the system is built so that if I start an independent task or even a group task, and I see that seven or eight students are not working, they have a, a hand gesture signal to me, which can be good from like language perspectives and just also just building a system in for student communication to signal, here's the reason, here's what I need from you as a teacher. So like the one is I just need a minute, like, and that's just respecting them so I can pass that student and go to someone else. Uh, the two being, I need you to clarify directions. Three, please give me an example. Four, can you model the process? Uh, five, something else off the top of my head. And then the fist is going to be, I need to step in the hallway and talk to you. And like, just to give them the power of being able to signal to me without saying a single word, this is what I need. So I'm trying to be intentional about how can I build systems in the classrooms for students to uh, advocate for themselves. Uh, and this will be a new thing. I'm not sure how it will go, but I really want to lean into that because one, there's only one of me in classes that average about 30 uh, students. And I really think sometimes we can assume that if they're not asking for support, they don't need support. And I want to take us down as many barriers as possible this year where that pathway to them communicating with me what they need is as easy as possible that's like that's probably the front and center thing i'm thinking about most yeah i think um my mind while you were describing the hand gesture system i was immediately thinking of so we did the first uh what was it on thursday this past thursday we did our first like full full drafting like take 40 minutes and write and here are the guidelines um and the prompt i think the prompt is the kids were really into it which is cool in when lang were doing a pop culture unit and so they're just writing a review of like a concert or an artist or something with pop culture but when i once i set the kids to writing like you would think that that was you would think that would be like a moment that's like not that stressful as a teacher because it's like oh you're just there circulating the kids are writing but i had hands going up everywhere because like they're stuck or they want my feedback or they're calling me over and they're like is this good does this make sense and immediately i was like that was like one of the more stressful days for me as a teacher because i I was just constantly like bopping around and like telling kids like, just give me a minute. I'll be right there. And like this person asked first or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, like even setting norms in the beginning of the year of like how to ask for help, how to engage for feedback. Um, it's great that they like, I actually felt really great that they were willing and eager and able to like raise their hand and ask for help and call me over. And like, to me, that's a signal that they want their writing to be really good, which is great. But also it's like not great. For, it's not great for like my ability to facilitate and also like have them just sit and struggle. Like I don't want the immediate reaction when you're sitting and struggling, especially with writing to be 
oh, raise your hand and have mayors come and get you unstuck. So I like that. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. And I think the question I'm asking myself as much as possible this summer going into the year is here's the outcome I want, but what are the systems I can create as a teacher that will hold me accountable? So for instance, with this system, if one of the gestures is you need to provide an example or model the process, that means if I bring an activity in the classroom, I better have an example ready, which is good teaching. You should have something sort of example, and I better be able to model the process myself. And I think as much as possible to create activities that hold ourselves accountable in the same way we have our core beliefs as a, on every desk for a reason. So students can hold me accountable to those core beliefs in our classroom and hold each other collectively accountable to them. So I think a lot of times we skip the system because, and I think, and that makes sense early on in your career. Like you don't even know, like you hear the word system. You're like, what are you talking about? They're like, are you talking about like your grading system? Like there are so many, and it's also one of those words that gets probably bandied around too much, but really intentionally think about the process that you are bringing into the classroom, because that is something you can do on the front end proactively to make student experience better, it, rather than just assuming that, oh, no one's asking for help. Uh, because I just think we know in our, at this point in our career that students have questions and it's about giving them the pathways to get that support. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to try several different things and I'll share over the course of next episodes how they're going, but I'm excited for this year in a, in a big way. Uh, it should be, especially after having a student teacher who was incredible, like mm-hmm. absolutely incredible. I just selfishly wanted to teach and I'm so, they emailed me. They're like, do you want another student teacher? I'm like, nope, I, I want, I want yeah. full reign. Like I'm ready. I want every period every day as much as possible. Like I'm ready to jump out of the gates. I will probably not be saying that. I'll probably like not even have a voice after that first week. But right now I'm excited. Uh, so that's my biggest like mindset right now. Yeah, I think that's a good place. To, I was excited too. I mean, I think I think a lot of people, I hope that a lot of people were excited to get back. It's a good feeling. It's a good time of year. Uh, it's stressful to learn all the names. That's my biggest thing. It's like, I felt like um, I was thinking of, I, I was talking with my wife Erin about this and the I like just learning 80 to 100 new names and like making it like people that's another thing I think people don't understand about teaching like if you don't know everyone's name like and you don't in the first couple of days of teaching like that is awkward. And also like, it's the foundation of your classroom culture and your classrooms, like every system, like will hinge on students' names. And like, until you learn everyone's names at the beginning of the year, like it, I think it's just so hard to, um, I don't know, have it feel entirely positive and, and, well, you're laughing a little bit. You got you got you got something well, about this. Well, yeah, like poor poor Jim with his you know two digit two digit student load. Where I'm at like 170 yeah. right now on my <laughs> rosters. Uh, and we did. I think we uh, we hit on this right last episode a little bit. Like my cheat is that I have assigned seats and my roster literally has the desk formation with their names on them. Okay. And for that reason, is like I want in the classroom to be able to know their names, and even if I don't have them memorized, I can know where they're sitting. And that facilitates that process. But I will add something that I was not used to because all the Arkansas schools, almost every student knew each other when they walked into the room. 
Yeah. I'm now at a school that's 2000 plus students. And I realized early on that they don't know each other, which is right. surreal to me. I came from a small school to be a, like a junior or senior in high school and not know who you're in the room with. And I've realized that and learned from other teachers. So we're actually going to uh, have a roster that we put on the inside of their uh, interactive notebook uh, the second week after I've got their values. And they're going to write down the top value from our introductory activity for each of their classmates to center the idea of values with how they look at each other. But like, I need to like facilitate not just me knowing their names, but they need to know each other's names. And I know that that's a priority for me this year that I, I just totally did not expect. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm in a school that has got multiple stories. Like there's an upstairs, like it's, it's, it's an adjustment. So I'm trying to make that again, systemically, what's something I can do on my side right now in the summer to make sure that is realized as our classroom community. Cause you can't have a great classroom community if they don't know each other's names. And that was a mistake I made last year. Yeah. And it's surprising how long you can go. Like, I feel I've made the same assumption before. Like, it's surprising how long you can go into the year. And then you're having a discussion and a student looks across the room and they're like, yeah, I just wanted to build off like what they said. (laughs) And you're like, man, like, uh, yeah, their name is Chris. (laughs) So... Uh, that's good. That's good. And that's also another argument in favor of assigned seating, even in high school. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, a, a big stan of assigned seats. Like I will I will hold that ground as much as possible because I think it does make it easier for so many things early on to set culture. So I'm, again, excited for that. And I, I usually it's by the second week. So we have class Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. By that Monday is my challenge, 170 students. So I think by that math, I think it's fair to expect of you by this week coming up, which is day eight, I think, yeah. for half the number of students, you should be good. I, I think I, I feel fair judging you for not being good if that's pressure. Yeah, I think I've got it. I think I've got everyone's names. I Sometimes I double check the rosters, but like I, I do, I think I've got everyone's names. I think I had it by like Thursday. And I also quiz myself as they're coming in uh, to the door for entry. Like I'll, I'll double check names and say good morning. And then, uh, you know, so I think I, I think I've got it. But 170 is a lot. 170, I, I'm not envious of. And yeah, also try grade, essay grading. Uh, I, <laughs> do, do you have a clip? Do you are so this most important question is something I can't believe we haven't broached. Are you a clipboard guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll set it down. Um, I'm definitely a clipboard guy and I have been using an iPad uh, because we, we have, uh, I have a seating chart and I can submit attendance and it's easy. Like it's definitely easy to walk around and I've been using an iPad for a while because we also do a lot of writing in Google classroom and other platforms. So it's great for like the student to have their writing up on their Chromebook and then for me also to like pull it up and like have it. So it just makes it makes things a lot easier. But yeah, I do. I'm also like old school pen and paper participate, like just taking notes and even just like honestly, like in the moment writing down like, OK, tomorrow we need to hit X, Y and Z. So I do that a lot. Um, are, yeah. Do you are you a clipboard guy? Oh, yeah. The roster yeah. like and I get made fun of because I think I'm one of the only people at our school who does teachers who does this. Uh 
and I've done this for a while, is like I've got the roster they're walking in, I take attendance, and then I can just plug it in as opposed to having to go through that once they're in. Uh, yeah. Like I, I'm like walk around my clipboard everywhere. It's just a thing that I've kind of a comfort zone, but I do think it helps in that sense. Uh, and I, and I, of course, knowing me, like I've got like the classroom, like I've inked out the classroom core beliefs on the back of it. So like, like I'm a, I'm a brand, like you got to brand things. Like if, if your classroom is going to stand behind these things, like even with our reading protocol this year, which I took, I took from Marissa Thompson, uh, that the thoughts, questions, and epiphanies model of like creating mm-hmm. a process for close reading, which I'm really excited and probably can dive into that in a later episode based on how that's going. But one of our core beliefs is about curiosity. And for each of our core beliefs in our classroom, we have a visual to help get it across early on in the year. And we teach that visual and that core belief. And this one's about the, the octopus, which I'm obsessed with the octopus, like as uh, and aesthetic, like just all this, like the crazy facts about octopuses. And so I've got the core beliefs that not only written down, but I also have like octopus branding all over the classroom, including our culture wall, which I'm really excited to unveil, like signing the wall okay. is going to be signing the octopus this year. Uh, okay. So I, again, I'm, I, when it comes to classroom design and systems, I am way over the top, incredibly nerdy about this stuff. Uh, but I did have a student last year for the part of their final project, which was like a, they had to write a 10 page or a 10, sorry, 2000 word meaningful. They could go multi-genre, whatever they wanted. One student incorporated in, uh, in their writing, uh, a visual component and then in their, an art class and they created a visual of uh, a massive octopus, like a, a artistic rendering of me, Mr. Luther, as an octopus, along with my son Simon. They didn't know that there was another one in tow at the point. So <laughs> I have in my classroom a student-created art piece for this year to to build and reinforce the system, uh, which is just like the perfect metaphor in so many ways of how a system can come to life through student creation. Uh, but yeah, it, basically the end point of this random tangent is that I am I obsessed with octopuses. And I'm building that into our classroom culture 110% this year. Um, okay, so a couple quick follow-up questions. One, isn't it octopi? Is the plural oct- is the plural octopi? I'm looking it up. I read somewhere that it wasn't. That's why I'm trying to intentionally. I'm doing octopuses okay. or octopi. It is most often spelled octopi or octopuses, but apparently octopodes is also a less common option. Octopodes would be a cool way to refer to students. The preferred pl- pro, pro, sorry, the preferred plural is octopuses. So I was correct. Okay, I'm glad. Uh, second thought is at first I thought you were talking about that Netflix documentary, uh, the My Octopus Teacher, um, which was which is just like really funny. But also I I don't know I really appreciate and and. Um, how much you make because i think this is something that i should do better in my classroom is just like making core beliefs come alive and um i think that you do a really good job from what i can tell i think that you it lives a lot more in your classroom than it does in mine right now and i think something that i want to steal for sure um i've seen you i've seen you tweet about your core value chart uh or your core value roster um which is, I, by the way, I, I do want you to send me that template, which would be great. Um, is it, What else are you trying to emphasize this year outside of like 
the class core values and knowing the student core values? Like, are there other big, big, big picture things that you're trying to emphasize this year? One thing I, I'm trying to like remind myself if we talked about this last episode is that with so we do an early to along with me saying here are classroom core beliefs and introducing those we do those like individually by lesson so we don't do them all at once we really want to spend time and try not to rush is of another value of mine is because I know I, that's my tendency is to go too quickly with this stuff uh, but and I ask students for their values and I get those so like on every roster and tracker where they're grading like essay data or you know, anything I have Google sheet wise in my Google Drive uh, I've got their names and their core value that they say at the start of the year, which is always interesting because we do the same activity later in the year and we look at, did they change? And about half of the students, they change, which leads to phenomenal conversations. But along with that, I've added a column for a, an individual or, or, excuse me, authentic strength. And one of the things I've made the mistake in the past is this urge to like call home and make a positive contact early on as much as possible with as many students as possible, which is a great inclination. If you teach elementary school and you've got 25 kids, go for it. First two weeks, knock off those 25 calls. Got it. Yeah. But with 170, it just doesn't happen in my experience. And even if I've tried really hard, it doesn't happen. And it comes across as inauthentic because you're like, oh, so-and-so raised their hand the first day of class. And I can tell they're a great, like you, you can give the spiel, about it, but it doesn't have the authenticity because it's so early on. So instead, my goal is over the first nine weeks, so the first quarter, find something specific to celebrate about that particular student. And I've got that on that tracker. And by creating, Mm -hmm. again, I know I've been like a broken record on this today, by creating a system that I've built into my own practices, hopefully that'll hold me accountable to following through rather than just being one of those empty goals that never happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have 170, but I've, I've even struggled with that too. The, the positive phone call home as soon as possible thing. Like I've done, I can, I can do texting pretty easily and it's just like, you know, I can get like, I'll sit down, I'll queue up notes and I'll, and, but I try to keep them brief and I try to keep them like clear and just say, Hey, I'm your student's English teacher. I've really appreciated their participation in class. I'm really excited about their year. Uh, but I don't try to do more than that for the same, for that exact same reason. Like you don't want to be inauthentic or have it just not just seem sort of, I guess, silly for lack of a better word. So. Yeah, it's, it's a balance in my current district. Like that's not, we have a program to do the texting, but it isn't, well inundated with our community so very few of them are answered and that's the only way you're supposed to do any sort of texting with families so because in previous schools i would just just text like and that was much i will say if your school lets you do that you're comfortable and i know you can use like the google voice number too text is texting and when i've done polling with families they much prefer that to phone calls a lot of the time so mm-hmm. it is a great strategy and I'm going to try and find ways this year with our platform that our district uses to make that more popular because I do think that's better than just picking up the phone a lot of times, not to mention the platform we have uh, can be translated to other languages within the platform. So for any non-English speaking students, that's built into the platform. So, but yeah, it's a great tool and I think it, 
that's a good strategy that you're using because it's definitely quicker and it also is what families tend to prefer by all the surveys I've seen. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the language barrier. We have a tra- we do a translation service, which I have used a couple different times for a couple different languages. But like, it's a it's a very it's like a production. It's a it's a big demand on time. Parents don't always have the time to do that. Um, and I, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on on parent communication. So, um, yeah, it sounds good, Marcus. It, it's, yeah. it sounds like you're ready. I, I, I appreciate this. And I think this is, I am at that point where I get incredibly excited. And I think that's probably good because I have been cynical over the summer and about different topics we've discussed for obvious reasons, but this is like my natural state of being when it talks, like talk about like my classroom and like starting the school year. This is kind of like the, the space I live in emotionally. Like I, I just love this job and I'm incredibly grateful to be able to do it. And hopefully that comes across and balances out some of my very strong worded criticisms that I've come across over the summer in a more broad macro sense. But like the other thing I personally really appreciate about the school year is I can stop focusing on the macro stuff and just like I don't have any time to scroll through like national education policy news, at least to the degree that I do during the summer. And I can just focus on my classroom, my school, my community and making that space good as much as possible. And that's just like a healthier personal place for me to be. So I'm just excited for that short term focus because that's at the end of the day, that's what matters. Yeah. And it's good. I think, uh, the current events and the news cycles about education right now are not necessarily that encouraging for a lot of teachers. So stick with it as much as you can. (laughs) So one sentence, I'm going to hold you accountable to one sentence. Student loan forgiveness is Mm. just because we're current events. Go for it. Sure. I mean, okay. Student loan forgiveness. It's great. What I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say there. I mean, I think, I don't know, man. I'm not an economist. Uh, it feels like, you know, I hear the the first, like, mildly legitimate criticism that I think I have been paying attention to is the potential for the impact of inflation. But, like, that just seems, it just, to me, that falls really flat and compared to just, like, the trillions of dollars that, the government can just like print to fund the Pentagon and the military and like all the PPP loans that were forgiven. Like it, this is something that's going to help. Well, me first personally a lot. (laughs) Um, But also just like, it's very, it's extremely clear who takes out student loans and it's, and, and it's, it's not upper middle-class people. Like it's, People from like people from low incomes, uh, and the Pell Grant extending the extending the extra up to twenty thousand dollars for Pell Grant recipients is I definitely think it's the right move. It doesn't really impact um, the root cause of the problem, which is like the cost of college in the first place. So I'm a little bit worried. Uh, I'm a little bit worried that we could that this could be used as an excuse. Uh, to just ramp up the cost of college and effectively negate 
the long-term impact of the loan forgiveness. Um, I honestly didn't think it was going to, I didn't think it was going to happen at all. And then over the past month or so, I had been following it and I was like, oh man, like it looks like the Biden administration is taking it pretty seriously. So I definitely think it's the right move. I hope that it will do what it's intended to do, which is just like provide a lot of relief for a lot of people who are struggling. And, you know, where I come down on this is it is it's not impossible, but it's extremely it's extremely hard to really participate in the economy without a bachelor's degree. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible. I know that you can you can do a lot of great things with without a bachelor's degree. But so many even entry level jobs require a bachelor's degree. And it used to be the case that so many entry level jobs only required a high school degree. And so we in order and we said like, okay, if we're requiring you to have a high school degree, then we're going to pay for your school system. And now I think there's a huge disconnect there. And we're, we're saying to so many people, you have to have a bachelor's degree, but you have to take out loans to do it, even for teaching. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pro student loan forgiveness. I have been for a really long time. I'm not, I don't think I'm as like, enthusiastic about it as other people because i i i do honestly believe that there could be some uh problematic like systemic economic consequences but i don't know that's not my job <laughs> what do, i mean what do you think what's your well, sense about it well as a Pell Grant recipient uh, I was incredibly excited about that specific adjustment to it because uh, I think that was a way to target the added, right? It went up to 20,000 forgiveness for Pell Grant recipients, if I'm correct. Uh, yeah. Like that seemed to me like a way to means test it in a really reasonable way, uh, which I think is smart. As someone who's paid off all my loans like and, is, and like been able to fortunate enough to do that, like I does not change my enthusiasm one bit. I'm incredibly just happy for people getting this relief because beyond all the economic theory stuff, because I'm not worried about the inflation stuff nearly as much as you for reasons like you articulated that there's way bigger things that people said zero about in terms of mm -hmm. money into the economy. This is a drop in the bucket compared to those. Uh, but in terms of if you take a step back and look at the last 20 years, 30 years, massive increases to the cost of college, which this does not solve. And that's my biggest concern for it or for not like this doesn't deal with the root cause. Uh, and I think it's important to acknowledge massive costs. At the same time, we were telling everyone go to college, go to college, go to college. Well intended. I think it's the right thing to say in a lot of cases, but we were flooding colleges with more people at the same time that the price was hiking to exorbitant degrees. And by the more people getting those degrees, the catch 22 is that those degrees had less value because more people had them. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have got that because it also can be worse to not have them if more people have them. But it created this catch 22 that put a lot of people in a really disadvantaged situation, including people who were pressured or felt pressured to go to college when they weren't prepared or weren't ready and then didn't complete it and still had those loans. And I don't think we talk about that as much too as we need to. So 
yeah, I'm just, I guess the other thing is like, can we just like step back and say like, yeah, I didn't receive this benefit, but I'm still really happy that a lot of people did. Like that should be the reaction more often. Like I didn't get mad about all like the farmer subsidies like four years ago that for farmers desperately in need in terms of people who were able to keep their businesses alive with PPP loans. Like I was happy and I'm not a business owner. I'm not a farmer and I'm not someone who's going to have my any loans forgiven. I'm just happy because I want to see more people successful and I want us to use our resources to help people. So I guess, yeah, that's my like quick, I get, we really broke the one sentence rule though. Well, I said it was great. I kept it to one word. Okay. I expand. I expanded on it. Uh, Semicolons and m dashes. Yeah, they're very good. I. I mean, I think. Yeah, I, it's. <laughs> neither of us are economists or you know policy experts, but it just it just it feels like the the right thing to do, especially right now. And I hope, in addition to the like immediate economic relief like really we need to be having a more systemic conversation about college and the cost of college and who is who can go and um i mean i remember very i was so tunnel visioned uh when i was an 18 year old kid like my parents pushed me to go to a cheaper school and it wasn't that much cheap like i was deciding between the university of new hampshire where i was growing up and St. Lawrence, which gave me a ton of scholarship money, but I had I had to take out a, a mixture of, of student loans in order to attend St. Lawrence, including private student loans, um, which are not for me, which are not getting paid off. Um, and I, yeah, I think I remember feeling so much pressure to go to what I thought was like, the better, more prestigious school, no matter what the cost. And my parents, they didn't really push back on it, but I, you know, both of them were like saying like, I don't really think you understand how serious this debt is going to be. And I, and they were right. Like, I am glad that I went to St. Lawrence and I feel like I've been able to manage my loans really well, but like, it is not, lost on me at all how crippling it could be for people especially if um you know things don't shake out for you very well in college or yeah there's a there's a lot of easy ways for the debt to become really so crippling uh for a lot of people and it's just people don't understand a lot of people it seems like people don't understand that (laughs) yeah one of my takeaways and at risk of like i don't want to cut this short because i think you and i both see eye to eye on how monumental the idea of college is to all of K-12 education, like the trickle down influence of college readiness and the idea of going to college and the examples and assumptions about college and how that influences K-12 education, especially at the high school level. Like it is monumental, not to mention the financial aspect. And honestly, I think we should probably just spend a whole episode at some point talking about, how the idea of college influences our work as high school teachers, because I think that's important to discuss about not just how we take our experiences in college that were probably different in some ways, parallel in others, uh, but just how we talk about college and how what college is in its current form 
shapes what high school is and even middle school and elementary school because we talk all the time about K-12 education policy. And I think sometimes college gets off the hook for lots of problems that start there and trickle right down. And I'm not a big fan of trickle-down economics, but I am a big fan of trickle-down education policy. Uh, so And maybe problems, trickle-down trickle problems. I know. It, it, I think it has, <laughs> we're not science teachers, but I do think gravity has something to do with all of that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we should stop there because we could go off the rails on this, but I do we, think we should circle back to it at some point. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So before we sign off, let me ask you this. What are like, because even at, at my school, this is true. We have a lot of new teachers, first year teachers. Like what are maybe two or three like specific, pretty tangible ideas that you think are important for a new teacher setting up their first few days in the classroom? Well, if you want like a, a lesson that would work in pretty much any context, just send me, shoot me an email or email us at the broken copier email and I'll send you my slides. Like I have a values introductory activity that works for all levels that I'm a big fan of and I've used at different contexts, different grade levels. So that's one. Uh, mindset wise, I would say walk into this year with a generosity of spirit, especially because I feel like people are coming in with Oh, guns ablazing in terms of their mindsets and convictions and just assume the best even with people who disagree with you students colleagues admin parents families just assume the best like life will be better if you assume they're coming from best intent uh and then give yourself grace like i think finding a chance to reflect like it's not going to go perfect I, I shared my story about being pulled out of my classroom by a school resource officer one day uh it doesn't have to go well uh, so just keep that in mind too. So that'd be my two cents. Do you have anything to add? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just every school is different and try like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have anything to add. I really echo the grace point because it's a hard job and you have to constantly make these like very consequential in the moment decisions and if you mess up, you mess up and you can move on from it and you get better every day. Uh, so just try to try to stick with it and be patient with yourself. I think that's I think I don't have anything more uh, that I can add that you haven't already said. So that would be good. <laughs> yeah, that and I guess apparently use like paper bags to cover textbooks. That, that you know, That's something I heard about from my grandpa, but now I, I guess yeah. it's still going on somewhere. So you, try you, that off too. Did you not do it? You had to have done it. No. Oh, man. Okay. Well, we'll do a different episode on it. That's all right. We use textbooks to, to stack in my first classroom as fake shelves for the newer books and okay. binders. Like we didn't touch them. Okay. Okay, right. that's enough. Well, <laughs> Sorry. I just... That's a new <laughs> We'll do a textbook episode. I think it's I think it's getting late. <laughs> it's good. very late. Okay. Congratulations on getting through your first seven days, Jim. Good luck with the names. All right. Thanks, bud. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener supported podcast for teachers. The show is written and hosted by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Maris. I do editing and sound design for the show as well. Thanks to Casey Roberts, a blues musician born and raised in the Mississippi Delta, for writing and supplying original intro music. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher currently based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, 
available now on Spotify. You can stream his music under the name Uncivilized. Fun fact about the album, it includes vignettes from a single called Rain Stomp, which was originally written to support Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight Action Network for Super Tuesday in 2020. Check out all his work at guitaruncivilized.com and uncivilizedtom.com, where you can sign up for guitar lessons on Zoom, just like I do. Links are in the show notes. Thanks very much to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of social justice and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching and learning at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.